Welcome to Computers and Coffee, the show where I drink coffee and talk tech. I'm your host, Sylvia Keller. Today I've got some espresso in front of me. Now, I don't have one of those fancy machines, it's just espresso that I made using a stovetop maker. But this principle is the same. It applies heat and pressure to a disc of finely ground coffee, producing a very strong, very heavily flavored drink. Um, my preferred way to take espresso is with a little bit of sugar and a slight amount of orange peel, since that tends to bring out some of the acidity and brightness in the bean. But really, you can make espresso with a lot of different methods and a lot of different hardware, so long as the principles remain the same, that you have heat, pressure, water, and coffee. Now, in our last episode, we talked about the basic principles of computing how the idea for the digital computer was even conceptualized, and what the basic principles of computing are. And for today's episode, we're going to apply some of that knowledge into our understanding of how hardware works and what the different parts of your PC actually do, how they process data and work together to create the experiences that you want. Computers and Coffee is brought to you by iBuyPower, and if you're new to PC building or PC hardware in general, this is a great episode to listen to, and it's also a really good precursor if you want to use our tools like our Easy Builder or Configurator. This way you can build the PC that you want and know that you're getting the amount of power that you need to play the games you want, create content, game and stream at the same time, etc. So, without further delay, let's jump into Hardware 101, starting with cases and cooling. Now, your case may not seem to be the most exciting or even most logical place to start when you're building a PC, but for first-time builders, I think it's really important that you start here for a couple of reasons. Number one, you want to make sure that you're getting a size of case that allows you to work and build and upgrade in easily. Case sizes will normally correspond to your motherboard size, and they typically come in form factors like mini-ATX, micro-ATX, standard ATX, or extended ATX. If you're building a PC for the first time, a smaller case is going to be harder to work within. So I don't usually recommend things like a mini ATX or micro ATX case for first time builders. Depending on the size of your motherboard, you're going to want to try to buy a case that is either the same size or a size larger to work within. Now, for obvious reasons, a smaller size won't be compatible, and one that is two sizes larger is just going to look a little strange once you put it together. So err on the side of a larger system if you're building for the first time. Secondly, you want to make sure that the case that you're using is accessible for the type of cooling system you're going to be using. Cases aren't just there for looks, although those can be important. If aesthetics are important to you, that's fine. But alongside looks, you want to make sure that there are other features that are compatible with the system you're building, particularly when it comes to how your system will be cooled. Now, if you're looking for an air-cooled PC, you want to make sure that there's good airflow and that the amount of fans that you need will be enough. Now, fans are going to perform two jobs in your case. There are intakes, which bring cool air into your system, and then exhaust fans, which push the warmer air out of your system. Depending on the hardware you select in your budget, you'll have to determine how many fans you'll need in order to cool your PC effectively. So while there is no one-size-fits-all solution to air cooling your PC, most of the determining factors are going to be based on how powerful you want the system to be, because the more powerful your system, the more heat you're likely going to generate, so you're going to likely need more fans to cool it effectively. 
Now, size can also factor into cooling because the larger your case, the less crowded it is, the more efficiently it will cool, which is why it's also really good to look for cases with good cable management systems. Because if you don't tie your cables back and manage them properly, they're going to crowd your case, which means worse airflow for you. If you're looking for liquid cooling solutions, there are several cases that can do both. Um, some are more exclusively designed for liquid cooling, so be on the lookout for those. And if you're looking for a liquid-cooled radiator just for your CPU while air-cooling the rest of your system, you'll want to make sure that your case can manage to hold the radiator that comes along with those kinds of coolers, and that the sizing is appropriate for the case you've picked. Okay, so after a little bit of research, you've determined what size case you'd like to use and what kind of cooling you'd like to see in your PC. Now let's move on to the hardware portion. Now, a lot of people start with CPUs, but since CPUs and motherboards kind of go hand in hand, I'd like to start with the motherboard because that is the main unit in your PC that everything else connects to. So let's jump in. If you think about the computer like a brain, your motherboard is basically your nervous system. The main job of the motherboard is to move energy and information around via electrical current and the circuits it has, which is why a motherboard can also be referred to as a circuit board. Motherboards connect all of your main PC hardware components, as well as your fans, case lighting, and other accessories that you put into your PC. Bottom line, if it takes power from your computer, it likely needs to connect to the motherboard in some way. When you're selecting a motherboard, you want to make sure you keep your CPU brand in mind. There are motherboards designed for Intel CPUs, as well as ones designed for AMD CPUs. But another factor to keep in mind is the chipset within your motherboard. Your chipset is going to determine if the generation of CPU you're choosing is going to be compatible with that board. Now, fortunately, when new generations of CPUs are released, they also are released alongside of new motherboards, because chipsets are also developed by CPU manufacturers. So just do a little bit of research on the CPU you'd like. Make sure to look into the chipset or chipsets that are compatible with that CPU and select your motherboard from there. Also keep in mind that just because a motherboard contains one particular chipset, it doesn't mean that all of the features of that chipset will be available on that specific board. Again, research is important to make sure that you're getting all of the features that you want in the PC you want. With that in mind, let's talk about CPUs. You'll hear a CPU being described as the brain of your PC. Now, that description always kind of bothered me a little bit because your CPU's job isn't to remember things or recall information necessarily. Your CPU's main function is to receive instructions, process those instructions, and produce outputs or operations. So it's not a long-term thinking machine, but it is a very good, very efficient calculator. While modern CPUs still have the appearance of a single chip, What's underneath the surface of them is far different from when they were first introduced. Multi-core technology and multi-thread technology have advanced far enough to make your CPU very good at multitasking between multiple programs at once. This technology has advanced to the point where dual-core is pretty much standard in any given work computer, and for gaming PCs, you want probably at least four cores. But you can get up to 32 cores if you really want a beast of a CPU that's going to be able to do anything you want it to do. When selecting a CPU, obviously keep your branding in mind and make sure your motherboard is compatible. But also look into things like power consumption and how much performance you really need from the top games or programs you're going to be using on your CPU. 
meet or exceed those expectations in order to get maximum performance from your system. And if you're interested about what a CPU clock is or what overclocking technology is or what overclocking looks like in your system, don't worry, we'll get into that in a later episode where I will do a deep dive into CPUs. So, okay, your CPU's job is to get instructions and follow them. Well, where does it get those instructions from? That is where your RAM comes in. Let's talk about that next. RAM functions as your PC's short-term memory. Its job is to hang on to instructions from all of the programs that you have open and be able to send the instructions to your CPU at a moment's notice if you switch tasks. This way, your CPU doesn't have to be the one holding on to all of the instructions from all of your programs all of the time. One of those programs that RAM holds on to instruction-wise is your web browser. So if you're like me and have about 100 tabs open at any given moment, your RAM's probably working pretty hard. A good rule of thumb for RAM is to have at least two sticks and at least 16 gigabytes. Two sticks of RAM ensures that if one of the sticks fails, the other one can serve as backup, and 16 gigabytes should cover a lot of your performance needs. You can always add more, certainly. And the nice thing about RAM is that it comes out in new generations a lot more often than CPUs or GPUs. It's a lot cheaper and it's super easy to install. So if you're looking to save some money on your build and then upgrade and splurge a little later, RAM is one of the greatest places to do that. You'll wanna make sure that the type of RAM you're selecting is compatible with your motherboard. So make sure to research the motherboard's make and model and see what memory module or type of RAM that motherboard is compatible with. Well, that's short-term memory. Now let's talk about long-term memory. So if RAM is your computer's short-term memory, your storage is your computer's long-term memory. Pretty straightforward, right? Its job is to hold on to files and programs in order to store that information until needed. Storage comes in two main forms, your traditional hard drive or HDD, which is a big bulky unit that contains mechanical parts, including a bunch of really shiny disks and a reader head, almost like a record player. And it manually reads and writes data by spinning those disks around. Your SSD is the other type of storage, and it's about the size of a stick of RAM typically. It functions very differently from a traditional HDD because there are no mechanical parts in an SSD. It's simply another chip that can store data very effectively. These types of storage work really differently, and I'll get more deeply into that in a later episode, but a good rule of thumb for storage is if you're looking for a drive that can recall information very quickly and boost a lot of your performance, an SSD is the way to go. However, if you're looking for really solid and reliable long-term storage, an HDD is your best bet. SSDs do tend to break down faster than HDDs, but they also tend to perform faster as well. That's why a lot of people will get both drives when they're building a PC. They'll use the HDD for long-term storage and load things like your OS onto the SSD, so your load time when you boot up your computer is lightning fast. There are also hybrid drives that exist, and kind of perform the function of both drives simultaneously. So that is also an option if you're looking to get the best of both worlds. Motherboard compatibility also will come into play here because SSDs do come in several different sizes. So be sure to do your research and see what works best for your system. Okay, I think this is the moment that most of you have been waiting for. Let's talk about GPUs. Your GPU or graphics processing unit was invented in around 1999, and it was designed specifically to take the load of graphics processing off of your CPU. Now, part of this has to do with the way CPUs and GPUs process data differently. 
CPUs are very good at taking instructions from multiple programs and executing tasks one at a time. We call this sequential computing. Multi-core technology and multi-thread technology have gotten CPUs to the point where they're really good at multitasking. And you have onboard's graphics capabilities in CPUs. So there are some gaming computers, albeit on the cheaper and not as high performance side, that can still utilize onboard graphics to render video games and give you a decent experience. But the benefit of a dedicated GPU is that all of that graphics data can be processed through a separate unit through a process called parallel computing, which is much more efficient at rendering graphics data, including with modern GPUs, things like lighting and ray tracing. This is the part of the PC that typically gets the most hype in the gaming community, and for good reason. It's the driver of the experiences you're going to get. But it's also going to be the most expensive part of your system, bar none. This is the biggest spend you're going to have. So it's important to do some research, figure out if you're looking for the highest performance possible, or if you're a little bit more on a budget, what type, make, model, generation of GPU is going to work best for your budget and your games at the same time. When selecting a GPU, make sure you're also considering how big the unit is in terms of your case and whether or not that GPU is going to be able to fit inside the case you've selected, as well as power draw. And we're going to be getting into power supplies as our last component, because this is the most important factor in making sure everything works. Okay, last but certainly not least, let's talk about your power supply. Your power supply, although it may not be as hypeable as a GPU, is still really important for your system. So there are a couple of factors that you want to take into consideration when you're selecting one. The first is size. You want to make sure that the PSU you're selecting can fit that case that you've selected earlier. So make sure the ATX model is the same and compatible. Your power supply does generate a lot of heat, and so you want to know where in your case it's designed to live so you can plan for that accordingly when it comes to your cooling system. So for a lot of cases, power supplies tend to be stored at the bottom of the case and towards the back of the case. Now, there's nothing wrong with that setup, and I don't knock that setup for anything. However, I do prefer cases that house the power supply at the top of the case, simply because heat rises, and your system's generating enough heat internally as it is, it's nice to have the heat from your power supply not necessarily need to creep into the main body of your computer. And if it can just vent out the top, so much the better. But that's my personal preference. You might decide on a case that does something differently, in which case, go for it. Also look at modular versus non-modular power supplies. Now, basically what I mean by modular is that the cables that connect to your motherboard and the rest of your system are also able to disconnect from the main power supply unit. This is really important for cable management because you may not need to use all of the cables that come with your power supply for your system. So it's nice to just be able to disconnect them and leave them off to the side and not have to manage those additional cables that aren't serving any purpose in the back of your system. Better cable management means better cooling. Obviously, the most important part of selecting a power supply is making sure that you have enough power to supply what all of the rest of your components need. So look at the power draw on your CPU, your GPU, your motherboard, your RAM. All of those components should have a corresponding power draw and determine from there how much power you need to keep all of those components alive. If you don't have enough power to your system, your computer just won't run. But if you have a little too much, you can max everything out and still have power left over. 
Once you've selected your motherboard, CPU, RAM, storage, GPU, and power supply, along with the case and cooling system, congratulations, you are well on your way to building your very first PC. Now, if you need a little bit of additional help with things like compatibility or assembly, and you just don't know where to start, I bet Power provides great solutions for people like you. We have tools like our Easy Builder and Configurator on all of our systems to ensure you get a high-performance, fully compatible system that is built for you so you don't have to worry about any of the headaches regarding assembly at all. Whether you're looking to customize a system that's perfect for your needs, or if you're just looking for a pre-built system that'll do the job that you want it to do, we have solutions for you at iBuyPower.com. And if you're looking for more information on PC hardware or DIY and how to get started, our blog at iBuyPower.com backslash blog is a great place to start, as well as, you know, subscribe to this podcast, continue listening. We'll have additional episodes that'll help you gain a better understanding of all of the hardware that goes into your system, what it's used for, and why, and how to make the best decisions for you. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this episode of Computers and Coffee. If you have additional questions or comments, please feel free to email me at computersandcoffeepod at gmail.com. That's computersandcoffeepod at gmail.com. Our music today is provided by Hyper Potions. I've been your host, Sylvia Keller. Stay caffeinated, friends. See you next time.